On today's show, we welcome business strategist and coach Michelle Williams. Michelle helps business owners gain clarity, confidence, and control so they can reclaim their time and be passionate about their work. Don't miss her thought-provoking ideas on money management and business mindset. Let's go. Hi, I'm Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers, turned internet friends, turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? You know, it's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. The birds are chirping. The squirrels are scrambling. The turkeys are gobbling. The turkeys are gobbling up all the worms in my lawn. My Yorkie is sleeping. You're a little snow white over there with all your animals. I really am. In the little fairy tale town of Sacramento. (laughs) (laughs) It really is a dream. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> we got to kind of jump in quick because today's episode is a jam-packed episode where our minds were blown. So we don't want to distract too much from our awesome guest. It was a really amazing episode. We both listened to her podcast and learned a lot. I think that all the hotties are going to get some actionable advice and guidance let's jump into our fizzle sizzle so we have plenty of time for all of that fizzle for me is i will have to link to this but y'all i've been playing this game on my phone called merge dragons with an exclamation point and no space between the two words and it's one of the most inane and mindless games because the only point is to take three things that look the same, like three blue flowers and merge them together until they make a pink flower and then merge the three pink flowers together and they make a purple one. And then you do that forever. There's no winning. Do you get that little like dopamine hit every time they merge? It's definitely satisfying to put like things together, but I feel like my mental bandwidth for decision-making that I do for clients all day is really exhausted. So then even the time that Sean and I are supposed to be spending as quality time, I just want to go sit and play Merge Dragons because I don't have to think. I just sit there and do this over and over and I zone out and that can't be healthy. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of like Candy Crush 2021 as far as just that like zone out. Uh huh. Game. Just like match, match, match. Don't think, just do. I'll warn the hotties who are listening. If you have children, it does have in-app purchases for upgrades and dragons. It's a fizzle because I don't, I shouldn't be doing that. That's not where my mind should be. I should just go to bed if that's, if I need my brain to rest or something. Yeah. Well, I maybe like set a timer. Like, okay, you can merge for 20 minutes. And then easily I can do 45. (laughs) then it's time to open up a book or or go to bed or go to bed and open up a book or lately i was thinking about breaking out my sketchbooks again and starting to draw more often i used to take it everywhere with me but we have i have so much 
less desire because I'm not seeing pretty things as often or going places. But I used to sketchbook and just like have you tried sketch. procreate? Procreate. I haven't. I really like pen to paper. I will just say I have clients that create pens for procreate and the whole reason Mm -hmm. why they started it was because Lisa is a mom and had no time like she's an artist and she had no time to get all the stuff out and so the iPad was a way for her to no longer have excuses but she creates pens so they have very lifelike feeling to them she just came out with a pencil box or different kinds of markers and it's actually really fun and meditative to just scribble I might get my sketchbook out, take the dog, go to the park, and then just sit for 10 minutes on the bench and draw what I'm seeing or scribble draw or continuous line draw because that makes it a lot less pressure. Right. Because it's not meant to be perfect to do. Like, just don't lift the pencil up and keep scribbling stuff. So I don't know. Maybe I could do that instead of dragons. Sizzle. Maybe maybe the books I should be picking up instead. The last couple of days was a twofer for me. I got two new design books mm-hmm. and most of the hotties probably know that brian paquette has a book out and he's got secret projects you've never seen on his instagram before they've been like, saving which that is so yeah. hard to do so his book is called at home evocative and art forward interiors and the book and the cover are gorgeous the photography instead of normally like our phones it's just fantastic and he's a source of inspiration yeah i have a couple design books that i flip through but i feel like i need to spend time like reading them his book isn't really written as a diy you do it but the philosophy thoughts and how he thinks about a room, like all of that is totally transferable, whether you're a homeowner reading it or whether you're a design lover, or if you're like us, we're working in design. It's always great to kind of peek in at how other designers think about spaces. My twofer on that was that in the same week, Disc Interiors, their book arrived and there's, it's called Portraits of Home. And Disc Interiors is local to me and greater Los Angeles, I would legit quit my job to work for them. Like you would make the coffee or? Oh, well, no, I'd, ha- I'd have to like <laughs> yeah, be a get paid. I'd have to get paid to work as like, compared to their status, definitely junior designer level over here. <laughs> like okay. their homes are so fantastic. I'm forever an admirer of what they do you know how certain things live in your head rent-free? Like mm-hmm. Disc Interiors has quite a few projects that I think of very often. And I go, oh, I should look at that room. <laughs> and I will legit <laughs> go on their Instagram or their website and look back at a room that I just think is so amazing. Yeah, and try uh, to like deconstruct like their What approach. is it that what I'm is stuck that on? Like, yeah. I'm sure our hotties can think of spaces that haunt them like that. I do actually pull them off the shelf and look at those. And I revisit my design books frequently, but I should look at it like it was a retirement plan possibility because I do spend enough on those books. Maybe that could be your Dungeons and Dragons (laughs) swap out. (laughs) Merge Dragons. Oh, instead of Merge Dragons, just actually pull out all my books every night. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have a friend who, when she, when she was really wanting to increase her reading, she just moved the remote control off her coffee table and put the books there. So you yeah. just pick that up instead, so switch there. them out every week, and yeah. oh, I got to do something. I can't sit and play that play the dragons game to For clear my head. That's minutes. not yeah, that's not healthy. <laughs> got to reduce my screen time like we do for the kitties. Uh, I know. <laughs> What's going on in Camp Plum? So Fizzle, you know, we're post one year of quarantine life. And I'm noticing people feeling like they're dreading going back to society and leaving their house. I feel like I'm having a hard time seeing local friends. It's just extra hard than it used to be. And we're lucky here in California, we've finally been on top of something and the vaccines are rolling out pretty quickly Um, right so i'm fully vaccinated my husband is a lot of my friends are but it's still like let's get together soon okay soon and it's the soon that never comes versus when people say what are you doing next week the middle of next week you know oh it's on yeah what are you doing this weekend and i am a spontaneous person you know, I'm a seven. I don't mind changing my plans or I never really make plans. <laughs> Let's be real. But I don't know, like nothing going on this weekend. I'm a mom. Like, unless I have plans with a friend, it's not nothing's happening. So I don't mind saying let's get together tonight for a glass of wine. But and what like- are we all doing anyway? Exactly. We're all still at home anyway. But I have friends that are like, I have a big project due in two months let's get together soon. I'm like, two months. I have one due tomorrow and I haven't started it, but I still come over for a glass of wine. Especially because at night, get it together. Like, yeah, like we're not going to you, like, you're going to work yeah. all night. Yeah. And we're not going to take shots and like ruin our day. I just feel like it seems like a bigger deal to just get together casually in person. It's almost like everyone got really protective over their time or it's, anxiety i think people have this like postpartum quarantine edition just don't know how to pull themselves out of it i think the best way to pull yourself out of it is to have a glass of wine with a friend (laughs) i think we forgot how fulfilling it is to see real people in real time i feel like i've seen you more than i've seen some of my friends that live down the street i mean i'm not mad about that but But you they live should 600 be. miles away. <laughs> they should be. They should be like, well, they're right here. We could get a coffee together. It's that refill your bucket type of life. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it's a personal thing, but it's hard it's not either. to take it personally when you're the one who's ready to go and no one else is on board. Yeah. And I feel like my vaccines just hit their 100% efficacy. And I think a lot of people are probably just about there. So. Now I'm going to be like, let's put it on the calendar. Like, what, like, what don't day? The planner. Some people might need a little bit of a Prep. push to get it going. Like, hey, I want to see you. I'm coming over next week. I will bring something for us to snack on. Yeah, tell me the day. You don't need to like, don't you don't have to. House. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably clean your house a little bit. I'm, I'm sorry for everybody. <laughs> Pick like, up your undies, like whatever. Pick, clean up the laundry, but don't make it where you're like throwing a 
giant party level, start low obligation. Yes. I'm here for that. So what balances that out though? Nothing. Nothing. It's hard. That's a big one. Definitely not my $16 Birkenkrock knockoffs, but that's what I'm going to talk about anyway. <laughs> so I was getting my eyebrows done and my eyebrow stylist guru was wearing these fluorescent highlighter yellow fake Birkenstocks. And they were so obnoxious that they were chic. <laughs> so it turns out they're $16 Amazon things. They come in a billion colors. And they're really comfy. I have the real Birkenstock, the plasticky ones. And these are just like a little spongier, a little softer. Like, you wouldn't say like comparable quality, like no. overall. No. Okay. Like the, Birken, a... the Birkenstock ones are definitely a financial investment. Yeah. And they're sturdier and like a denser plastic. These are almost like a bath toy. Um, okay. I feel like I want like a couple more. One that just stays by the pool. We'll have to link them because you kind of always need a good entry level shoe. I don't have any more room in my closet for more shoes. When I had to replace a pair of shoes recently, I had to get rid of a pair of shoes because one in one out. Well, this is a 1930 Spanish home. So the closet was precisely three by three for two adults to use. So we just try to live that minimal minimal life as much as we can the rest of you link in show notes and and if you feel like you need to turn off your brain i'll also link the dragons app we should jump jump into today's guest yeah definitely time she's got a we got a lot to say with her so you guys are gonna love it our guest today is the owner of scarlet thread consulting michelle williams As a business strategist and coach serving the interior design industry, she empowers her clients to own every aspect of their business, everything from aligning their teams to igniting their processes and managing their money. Michelle is an author, a speaker, a certified Profit First coach, and the host of her own podcast, Profit is a Choice. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you two today. We know you're a busy lady, so we really appreciate you sharing your time and expertise with us. For our listeners who aren't familiar with you, could you share a little bit about you and the background that's brought you kind of to your company that you have today? Sure. So I started my career out of college working for a software firm, building financial software, project accounting, accounts payable, and all of that. I did that for 10 years. And then I came home to raise my family and I started an interiors business in 2000, kind of by accident. Somebody rang my doorbell and they were holding bolts of fabric and they're like, if you will do for us in our house, what you've done in yours, we'll pay you. And this is before all the internet craze, you know, there. It, I didn't even know what I was or what I was doing. I was just like, yeah, I'll come do that for you. So I just, I ran a drapery workroom, did wholesale retail, worked with designers, did some light design, all those things for years. Bought and sold a school, put out a magazine for four years, did education for a while. First of all, I screwed up all of my financials within the first two years because I accidentally got into business. And so I was too busy focused on, I would say, being the technician in my firm instead of the owner of my firm, which meant I was 
was focused on doing the work and not on managing the work. And so mm. I didn't put up good boundaries from boundaries. And about two years in, I was like, oh, snap, here I am with a negative um, net profit on my PL, which means my husband, he um, lovingly called himself my angel investor. My husband <laughs> is now taking money from his hardworking job to put into my firm so that I can serve rich people in their fourth home. And there seems mm. to be a problem here. And so I need to get this corrected or I'm going back to my six figure salary. And, and you know, I, I'm not doing this for free. So I sat down and changed everything in my business. And then as I progressed, I realized that people, I kept asking people, how much can you make doing interiors? How much can you make doing custom window treatments? How much? And nobody would ever tell me. And if I were being really honest, Sean and Rebecca, I thought people were being snotty. I thought mm. they were being rude. I thought they mm. were being closed-minded. And what I realized later is it was that they didn't know. They didn't know what was possible. They weren't making money. They were struggling. And so instead of telling me that, they just wouldn't answer. And so I had this preconceived idea that everybody was making money and that there was this great big thing out there, but nobody would tell me about it. And like it was a I secret started, they were hiding. Yeah, a big secret. Yeah. And then I realized the secret was that they didn't know how to manage the money the same way I had not. And I knew how to do it in my head, but I had not taken it and put it into practice in my business. I was mm -hmm. so, I think, in love with the fact that I always call it the Sally Field. Like, you know, when she won her award, she's like, you love me. You really love me. That was kind of how I felt. Like they're calling me. They love what I do. They cry when I install. <laughs> Clearly I must be doing something right. Yeah. And I'll never forget I know this is long-winded, but I'll never forget my dad said to me when I told him that I loved my boyfriend back in high school, who <laughs> now is my husband of almost 31 years. But at the time, I said to him, oh, I'm in love with him. And he said, sweet girl, he said, take that to the grocery store and tell me what you come home with. And I was like, oh. <laughs> He's like, so you need to go ahead and get your education and get a job. Love's going to come with it. And that is what it kind of made me think about in my work is I was trying to live off the kudos and the attaboys and the crying and the excitement and the patting me on the back. But there wasn't a check to go with it mm -hmm. um, or a check commiserate yeah. with the amount of work that I was doing. So all of that to say, I've done it all wrong. And then I figured out how to do it all right. And so then I started teaching that all the way back in 2008 and nine. And then that led me on a pathway to buy and sell school and then to shut down my interiors business and focus on financials and good business practices and how to actually manage and scale a business while doing what you love. I really love that. In absorbing all the emotional conversations that had to happen for you <laughs> to get to a point where you're oh. saying that, but to know how many hard or, or challenging conversations had to happen within your within yourself, but with your family and with your husband. It, to, it was horrible. Like, it was horrible. I'm not going to lie. I remember I can tell you exactly where I was sitting because I was the one like because I love numbers. I wanted to do our taxes. And Sean, I can tell you exactly where I was sitting at my kitchen table when I did the numbers and pulled everything together because I, I wasn't keeping up with it month over month over month. So yeah. I knew money was coming in. I knew I was being paid. I knew everybody loved what I did. And it wasn't until I did the full financial picture, you know, in March, right before you go hand it to the accountant. Oh, and I looked at it and I, I called my husband bawling, crying. I don't know if you've heard my story. And 
in my mind, I wanted him to be a girlfriend and be like, go get a glass of wine, take a bubble bath, eat some chocolate. And that was not what he said. <laughs> what he said was, what are you doing? Like, you're a smart woman. You ran a multi-million dollar you know, portion of the business, you had onshore and offshore resources and you built these financial systems. Like, what are you doing? And he yeah. wasn't being rude and hateful and mean. What he was saying was, you absolutely have the ability and you can turn that you can change this. That was the moment. And I, here's what I did. I was like, Ugh, I hung up. I was like, yeah. pissed off. Here's like, don't do that to me. And now, of course, I know it was because he loved me so dearly that he was willing to say the really hard thing was you deserve better. And my thing is, they can only walk on you if you lay down. And I was laying down and he invited mm. me to stand up. And I stood up and thought to myself, I sat down that next day and I thought, OK, am I going to be in hobby or am I going to be in business? What does it look like to be in business? Who are the businesses that I respect or that I look up to? What do they do? And then how can I implement that in what I would consider a micro business, my business? How do I go, you know, the small business is like 50 million and under. How do I take what they're doing and implement it into my business? Where do I put up boundaries? Where do I say yes? Where do I say no? How do I control this thing so that I can be paid well for doing what I love? And that, that it changed everything. And it was a journey. It, it, it's not an overnight shift. But my mindset shifted in a moment. And then I got rid of the table because I was like, I can't be reminded of sitting. In the <laughs> has too much I, bad energy in it now. It can't yeah, have it. Yeah. And I think we make the mistake often as women that we like we equate being well liked with being successful. Mm -hmm. Like there's some kind of weird two sides of the coin, which they're not. You don't have to be a tough, mean person to be successful. You can still enjoy your clients, have a good relationship, but still hold firm boundaries. Because Sean and I, I call him Dr. No. He's like, Mr. <laughs> boundaries, like boundaries first. And it's comes really, I feel like more naturally to him. And I wonder yeah. sometimes if it's because he's a man and we- Oh, for sure. Because no one has ever pushed back. Well, not no one has ever, but societally, if I say, no, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do that. Or that day doesn't work for me. What about they say, this? Okay. We yeah, they go, oh, time, sir. okay. And yeah, <laughs> right away, but sir. Even if, like, <laughs> But even as women, if we do do that, I don't think people are upset. We just assume it or want to be. We write that story in our own mm -hmm. head. We write it, yes. You know, one of the things that, of course, hindsight brings so much more clarity than it does in the moment. In the moment, everything feels overwhelming and the emotions are high, all of that. But I think for me, if I were to look back over my career, I've been doing this over 21 years now in this industry. I think because when I worked in software, I had a degree that backed up that work. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't as much about being liked. It was about falling back on. I had a degree, which kind of said I knew title, what I knew, probably. a title. I was over a team. I was the manager of the team. I had authority over the, you know, the work that we were doing. It, it was different. Now I'm starting a home-based business as a young mom, as a woman. I don't have a background in this. I'm learning as I go. So the confidence shifted. I didn't have, I used to always say, I don't have a group of letters behind my name. I had taken some, you know, interior design courses and things like that, but I'm over here sewing the window. I'm over here making and doing, I'm hanging wallpaper for them, for goodness sake. Wow. Like I was doing all 
all the things because that's what you did when you wanted to get it done. And I didn't feel like I had the confidence behind what I was doing at the time. And so I tended to, and I'm not even really a people pleaser, but I wanted to people please to some degree to even figure out if I was doing it right or wrong. Do you know what I mean? So it just became this perfect storm of pretty much work for free for people's fourth home. And get, and yeah, then they tell you, oh, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. And and it's like, that's, that's great. The affirmations are wonderful, but they, it doesn't refill the wind in your sails. You can't take itself. that to the market and come home with anything. <laughs> That's right. I couldn't get braces yeah. for my kid. I couldn't go to Kroger and get food. I mean, it just didn't help me. So now yeah. what I did was I decided, you know what? I want all of those good feelings. I want them to pat me on the back and I want them to smile and I want them to cry and I want them to have that emotion or that emotional connection to what I've done. But I want them to give me a paycheck. I sure. want them to pay me. So there's no reason mm-hmm. I can't have both. It's not an either or. It's an and. Yes. Yeah. A million times that. And that's, I think we, a lot of our listeners are building a business and they're also in the same way you're describing building their confidence in Mm -hmm. a business, whether they had a design education background or not, they're, they struggle with that idea of, I deserve this. Even if I have less experience or less know-how than some other people, I'm still bringing more than what my client is, which means I have something to offer that's worth something to them. And I think like to your point, our industry has quite, I feel like it has a pretty big percentage of people coming in as their second career. So Mm -hmm. we come from a place of, like Sean and I both have this, we come from a place of confidence, knowing our value and our worth to feeling very vulnerable very that humble. was exactly my experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that... you feel like, oh, what, what an idiot mistake. How, how can I even ask them to continue to pay me for this when I messed up royally on something? Or I and... really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm figuring so, this out as I go. You know, yeah. another mindset shift that has served me really well in, in regard to this conversation is not introducing myself as a designer or a workroom or a coach, but instead introducing myself as I am a business owner who -hmm. provides blank services because that shift creates the authority of being an owner of a firm. So now when I'm charging a rate, I'm not charging a rate for me. I'm charging a company rate to provide the service of ABC and XYZ. Otherwise we internalize it and we make it so personal that we think they're paying us. Mm -hmm. They're not paying us. They're paying our firm. They're paying our company. We might happen to be the principal in it at that moment. We might happen to be the only in it at that moment, but nevertheless, whatever they pay us, it's not our money that we stick in our pocket and walk away. They're business expenses. And so when I made that tiny shift of, hi, my name's Michelle. I'm the owner of Scarlet Thread Consulting or Scarlet Thread Interiors, and we provide ABC for XYZ. Mm-hmm. I now have moved from self-promotion to solution promotion. And I now have taken that one step to separate myself from the business. So if they don't like something, I've started building those barriers and those protections for they don't like me, they don't like what I'm doing, and I make it more about the business and less about me. Then it also makes it easier later if I want to hire or bring other people in Mm -hmm. um, or when I increase the rates, it's not because I'm saying 
I'm taking all that home. It's costing more for me to provide this service. Right. That's a good mindset. Even if it's like you're about to send a really big proposal and you're like, ooh, Rebecca's nervous about this number. What if they don't like it? And like, but if you shift the mindset to Studio Plum's asking for this, this yes. is what they need. Yeah. yeah. I'm Part just the whole- messenger. It changes it. Part of the work that I did that I mentioned to you when I looked at what the businesses do, I started thinking about my days where we used to call them a dog and pony show where they would bring out all of the upper management and they would rah-rah-ree. But what they were doing was they were telling you, these are the values of the company. This is our mission. This is our vision. These are our policies and this is what we do. And so even when I was a business of one, I sat down and wrote all that down. My mission, my vision, my value, my why's and policies. And I I wrote everything as the scarlet thread believes the scarlet thread does this, the scarlet thread will not do that. So that then when clients pushed, like Sean mentioned earlier, I would take myself and mentally go, they're not pushing me, they're pushing the company, therefore the company needs to respond. (laughs) And then I would respond back and go, the policy of scarlet thread is the policy in the company is instead of I feel or I want or I need. I took I out of it and mm-hmm. made it about the company. And honestly, the, the pushback became less. And because I had pre-written it, <laughs> I would just look at it and tell myself, all right, Michelle, you said that Read you this. believe that. <laughs> yep. You said you believed it. Now is your chance to stand on it. So it almost actually, well, it didn't almost, it did. It built my confidence because in a moment of, of everything breaking apart, I had to go back and go, what is solid ground? What do Mm. I believe? What am I here to do? And how am I going to do this and why? And then I wrote it. And then that, that was back in 2003. And so then at that point, everything I have done has been to stand on that, but writing it down, not just holding it in your head. It's like, it carries its separate weight. Yeah. We need to make those like big vinyl banners at big um, warehouses, having them with your, values so you can look at them and see them yeah. and be reminded. I have my clients make them into beautiful art or print them or frame them or hang them up. As a matter of fact, I put on my Instagram the other day, I was out at a restaurant and they had they had posted on the wall. It was interesting. It says at City Barbecue, we exist to serve and create happiness. They have yeah. it huge and they have it yeah. up on the wall in their workplace. And I had said to my husband before I saw it, I'm like, these people are so kind in here. They are so nice. They just keep coming up and doing all these nice things for us. Even in a time of COVID, you would think people would steer clear. They just kept, I mean, everybody's masked, but they're just being so kind. And then I look up and I see their why, if you will, kind of their values within one sentence. We serve, we exist to do this. And it was on the wall. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. And I think there's something to that. I mean, putting it up there really does provide that accountability of, okay, if I'm not here to do that, then why am I, what am I doing here? It becomes a filter for every decision, especially right. hard ones. It becomes right. permissive. Mm-hmm. It becomes yeah. permissive. Think about that. Now, if, a, if an employee is standing there and somebody asks them something or says something that is maybe they don't know how to solve it, they, they know that statement. And their goal is to serve and provide happiness. So now they have a framework for their own decision-making as Mm -hmm. the employee. They know that whatever they do, while it might not be the norm, if they satisfy that, then management's not going to be as upset. Right. My past life as a banker really relates to that (laughs) because 
it's you are pushed with like policy procedure. I mean, controversies aside related to the banking industry, there is a set of values and vision and goals that want to be accomplished for every business. And, and there's our clear set too, but part of working for a bigger company like that really did lend that, that shift of this is the policy, but I'm here working with you. Here are the paths forward or here are, here are the options. And, and we were really taught from a very early point of Yes, policy, procedure, that can feel restrictive. And sometimes in our businesses, we have to have those restrictions to protect the business. But to be able to say, but I'm the designer, I'm here with you now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't allow returns on furniture. Let's look at what that is and why. And there may be other options. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is not to drop policy or procedure or things in front of someone and then just like dust off your hands right. and leave it right. with it. You have to say, this is what it is. Here's options or here's the way we can work out that. And I don't want to leave you upset. And at least it sounds like I'm coming to you to still provide that great service, to still make you feel like I'm here for you, but there's some limitations on how that works. It's not carte blanche. I'll do whatever exactly. somersaulting for you to make you happy. Right. And so the difference between having a strategic plan and a tactical plan, a strategic mm-hmm. plan says, this is what I plan to do. This is how we plan to accomplish it. Tactical says we're, we're sitting here in the moment and I've got to make a move different than what I thought. Now, how do I do that? Right. If you think about it, like an, I, I usually use like it could be chess. It could be any kind of sport. You know, you have I don't know a huge amount about football, but, you know, you have different teams, <laughs> that have different that they have different strategies. They're all about the offense. They're all about the defense. They have a throwing game. They have a running game. They have strategies that best support the strengths of the players on their team. But when they get into that moment, I don't care if that quarterback always throws. If he's in the moment tactically that says you can't throw that ball, you know, and, and accomplish what you want to accomplish, you need to do something different. They have to have the freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing that happens in our business. We have a strategy for how we're going to make money. We have a strategy for how we're going to work with our clients. We have processes and procedures that are built with our clients in mind so that we can give them exactly what they want. But in the moment, we've got to be able within our why, within our values, within what's best for everybody, position ourselves on the same side of the table with them, working towards the same outcome and goal. And if we can do that, then they feel like we're in it with them instead of opposed to them. I'm thinking back to some kind of problem that I've had on a project. And if you hear about the issue, like maybe the wrong color got used, I don't know. And it just makes you sick or makes me sick to my stomach. My first thing is like, this is not my strategy for my business is to create beautiful projects that my clients love and they are not happy with this. Mm-hmm. And so my first instinct is to just to be sick, but yeah, it's like that. Okay. What's my tactical move. And sometimes I just need to sleep on it literally because it feels impossible in the moment to come up with a solution that's going to meet my value system. But then usually with a little bit of time and thinking, it comes to me like, okay, I can resolve this. I'll take some of the responsibility, figure out a way to make them happy. Maybe it'll take a little time and money on my part, but the tactics can still be resolved. Align. Yeah. 
A lot of times a great way to do that too, is to sit and think, what is the outcome that both of us would like? And then work tactically to get that, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we think that the client only wants it solved one way. And if we open up that dialogue that says, you know, what what would make you happy? What what would make this okay for you? Now, I'm assuming we have reasonable clients because there are certainly unreasonable ones out there. And if so, (laughs) don't open it up that much. Give them an A, B, and C and say how, you know, which of these three. But I think sometimes we assume that people are are wanting the moon when they really just want three steps ahead. I mean, yeah, I, I think we always go to worst case scenario. I think as most humans, kind of like even when the phone people. call comes in after an install, you know, and you get that, Oh, what did they not like? What did I do wrong? And instead they're calling yeah. you. I just want to call one more time to tell you how great it was. But in our mind, something like waiting for the other wrong. shoe to drop. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I am the worst. Yeah, I definitely do that. Or you're like, oh, am I going to be ready to listen to this voicemail? And then, and then you're like, oh, okay. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's, yeah, I have an answer for that. Or it was good. Hey, hotties. Have you ever listened to the show and wish you could ask us questions? Well, we just opened up private coaching sessions. Now you can book one or two hour Zoom sessions with Rebecca and me. Together, we bring over 40 years of experience in our combined professional backgrounds to help you with marketing, finance, and business strategy. We're here to guide you on anything from branding to systems to the emotional guidance that you need to run your business. Book today at hotyoungdesignersclub.com coaching or use the book now button on our Instagram. We can't wait to meet you. I want to jump into a little bit about Profit First. Sean and I have it on, like we do, we did one book club podcast series last year. And so that's our next one, but we haven't started it yet. Our last book club was, we read The The Big Leap. We were talking about what holds people back from their next big move, whether it's something tangibly in the way that something is set up to stop them from accomplishing something or whether it's psychological limits that we place on ourselves that prevent us from getting to it. And it's from a a psychological perspective of what stops us and what limits our growth. And I think as designers, it resonates because it reminds me a little bit about what you said earlier Mm -hmm. about what is possible for people to make or what can they accomplish? And we see some examples in the design world now because there's so much on social media that we think we know what people are doing. You know, we can see beautiful projects from some designers and it, in truth, they may not be taking any money home. And so talking about your upper limit problem and what gets in your way goes, can go even back to, I just have to, I have to decide where I'm going to be paid, when I'm going to be paid, how I'm going to be paid. And I think that's what led us to what will be our, our next thing is profit first. Well, I am so happy to talk about that. So what do you want to know about Profit First? I guess, is it is it something, so, okay, we haven't read the book, which okay. I know that's like job one. Is it a program we can do without guidance? Is it something we can be like self- Self-implement? Yeah. 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 Yes and no. Okay. So let me qualify. Don't you love that? It's kind of like the lawyer uh, answer. It depends. All right. So here's what I'm going to say. Profit first in and of itself is a methodology or a system. 
And I have been a Profit First certified coach just so that people know what I'm talking about since 2015. And I've helped hundreds of people implement Profit First. I have a podcast, Profit is a Choice. We talk about Profit First type things all the time. Mm -hmm. I would submit to you that Profit First is a mindset first and foremost, the same way that you're talking about and the big leap and those things, everything we've talked about is a mindset. And the mindset says, I'm going to save out my profit so that my business is sustainable. I'm not going to drag it down. I'm not going to spend more than the business makes. I'm not going to overextend my business. It is a mindset. And I say that because I even help my clients profit first their time, meaning which part of my time is what do I save out as profit in my time to build my business, to develop my business, to make my business sustainable versus just running after the next thing. So if you think about profit as the the portion of your business that allows it to be sustainable for the long-term, that's what it is. Now, can people do it on their own? Yes. So here's the way it works. When you read the book, what it does is it teaches you money management. It's a money management system. And I would say to you that, what, how do they say it? It's simple to understand, but not always easy to implement. So just okay. like with anything, if you were to ask me about some of the project management tools out there and you were to say, hey, could I do those by myself? Maybe. Some people can, some people can't. A lot of it depends on the way that your process works. And it depends on the complexity of your company. Here are a couple of things I would tell you. First, if you can have a mindset that says, I'm going to save out my profit, that's going to help you. Second, remember how we talked about strategy and tactical a minute ago? What a lot of people do when they try to self-implement is they take the book and they immediately run to the bank and they open five bank accounts and they just go, now, where where does all my money go? Those people usually struggle or they get halfway in and they stop. And then they say it doesn't work, but it was really that they weren't prepared to make it work. So if you want to self-implement, the way that you do it is you, you make the mindset shift and then you turn around and you create a strategy in your, prof- in your company for profit first. And by creating a strategy, what I mean is you have to look at where does money come in? When does it come in? How does it come in? And how do I recognize revenue? And then you ask yourself, what money do I need to protect? So if you can create a strategic framework around money management, then you can apply profit first principles. One step further, in the interior design world, one of the first things I tell designers, if you are doing full service design, meaning not what I would call design only, you're actually implementing and executing on the design, right? Right. There are some firms that simply do design only, totally cool. They're not, this is not going to apply to them, but those that have a higher cost of goods, because you were fully implementing your purchasing on behalf of your client, I would beg you to have a cost of goods bank account and to have Mm -hmm. a credit card only for cost of goods attached to that account and to potentially have a sales tax account or to put the sales tax in there with the cost of goods. What that does is it protects that money from being used for the operation of your firm. So you're choosing not to commingle money that your client has given you to steward, to buy the product on their behalf with the money that they have paid you for the services that you're rendering. 
Right. And so the design firms that I see that that can get overwhelmed and in trouble is they have one credit card and they've got operating expenses on that card. They have client purchases from vendors on that card and the Amex is running up to 20, 30, 50,000. They've got money coming in. It's all in one bucket and they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Uh, but if yeah. you take and move all of the cost of goods into an account and have a credit card that only goes to that for cost of goods purchases. It can never be absorbed in the running of the business. Mm -hmm. Now that means the business has to run on two, primarily two income sources. It runs on the income source of time and services. And services. So it is either like going to be time billing or design fees or flat fees, but it's for the, the, the service that you do. And it's going to run on profit on product. Yes. So remember when I said you have to make a strategic call of when do you recognize profit? Mm -hmm. Well, if you sell um, a sofa to a client for $10,000 and you're going to pay the vendor $5,000, when does the other $5,000 become profit that you can use to run your firm? Usually, we don't recognize profit until we have completed the sale. What does it mean to complete the sale? It means they've given you money, you've ordered the sofa, you've installed the sofa into their house, the sales loop has been completed, now I can recognize profit, which means mm -hmm. you could be sitting with an extra $5,000 if they pay you in full in advance in an account for these days, eight months to get that. <laughs> or longer. <laughs> that, so you, that you can't, yeah. you can't bring into the company and use right? because you've yeah. not really earned it because you haven't closed the sale. Some firms don't do that. And so what they're doing is they're eating up all the profits, but they've not even closed the loop. So now what happens is down the line, they got to go buy another sofa. They've got to go do something else. And now they start getting themselves in trouble. Or something comes in, the ottoman is damaged and you got to yep. take it back to the upholsterer. It's your fault. You've already you need that from profit. that money. Yeah. And I think that's where we've been leading up to this. We've been talking more about product revenue and that as a separate income source and having that as part of your business strategy. But it's not this like pot of gold until everything's resolved. Everyone's happy. The client's gone. Right. Because the profit a, could easily go from 5,000 to 4,000 to 3,000 based on you have to have, you know, let's say you had to bring in an upholsterer to make something right. Or you had to bring in somebody who did some type of wood restoration for the legs and you had to return, right. return that and send the installer out twice and take it or back. the wrong side. Of yeah, sectional. all of it. I recently started working with a bookkeeper this year that she doesn't invoice until what you're saying. The project is completely done. So we just, like, I just work in the proposal. Stuff is getting delivered. Until the project's done. So I just work in right. proposal mode with clients. They pay me on proposals for a product. And then the whole project is invoiced and closed when it's installed, which is and a that's different why terminology. Say, it's just different terminology there. And it's a different way of accounting so that you, it, it also has to do with sales tax and when it's collected mm -hmm. and yeah, how it exactly. needs to be paid, whether it's an invoice proposal. But it, regardless of how they're paying you, in the grand scheme of things, if they give you, let's say, again, that $10,000 for that sofa, what do you do with the other 5,000? And when do you bring it in to actually run your company? That's mm -hmm. the strategy decision that each person has to make. And what I find is people that try to self-implement without thinking through 
money management, how the money will be managed, how is income managed, how are expenses managed, they're the ones that struggle with self-implementation. The ones that do well are the ones that sit down and work through all of the strategy that says, here's how I'm going to invoice, here's where money comes in, here's where I'm going to recognize it, here's where I move it over into an area that I can actually spend it in the company. They're the ones that are able usually to self-implement a little more. And do I know you do one-on-one consulting. Do your group programs go through that? Yeah. So I have three ways that I help with Profit First. One is I have a course called Master Your Profit. So what it does is it teaches the strategy for the interior design world. You know, what do you do with cost of goods? What do you do with sales tax? What do you do if you have to buy inventory? What are the things that you need to do and how to manage and how to self-implement? So I have that course. Self-paced course. Self-paced course. In addition to that, I have my hybrid coaching, which is similar to a group coaching experience and my one-to-one. And in both of those, we, we cover that along with, remember when I made the comment about overall, how does the business run? It's a very yeah. holistic approach with what is your why? What are your values? What are you trying to do? When do we bring in money? So it's really helping us understand how we, we flow everything through the company and how it shows up in our money management. It's something that no one's really taught. Like design school doesn't teach any of this. No. I think a lot of designers, if they're on their own now, which is many of our listeners, but even if they're working for someone else, they're learning this from another designer or a firm or someone that they were kind of a a part of a bigger piece. And so you don't see all of that when you're working for another designer or you're interning for them, or you don't know that, but oftentimes you're picking up really bad habits. So now you're like, that just must be how it's done. I come from a previous business that I co-owned that was primarily service-based only. And moving into this business, yeah, what all that you're seeing, I completely relate to. I got into that issue last year where I just had one big bucket of money and especially when these back orders started happening, I mean, I was just manually printing out papers. I'm like, this $2,000 is for this. So, and I haven't been charged for it yet. So I need to like, wait. Not spend it. Right. Don't use it. That's right. Be waiting for them to charge me one day between now and yep. six months from now. Yeah. Like I have no idea when that's going to be. So here's the theory behind Profit First for those that haven't read it, or maybe this is new to them. What is so cool about the way that it works, and people get freaked out at five bank accounts, but seriously, don't let that freak you out. What you're doing is you're parsing out the money so that it can do the job it was intended to do. And it is actually so freeing because I was just talking to another firm about that this morning. When I go look at, let's say, a bank account that has $50,000 in it, okay, but I'm not realizing that a good portion of that is going to pay these vendors that have not yet invoiced me and that I have to make payroll and I need to, you know, fund the 401k program for my employees and I need to pay myself and blah, blah, blah. We look at the 50,000 and in our minds, oh my gosh, we have so much money in that account. I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. And we don't realize we're spending the same money six ways. But when we take the money that needs to go to the vendor whenever they invoice us and move it out and we move out payroll and we move out 401k, we might see that we have 
you know, $21,000 that's available for us to make different decisions on. So all it's really doing is protecting the money for the jobs that we have said that it is necessary for it to accomplish. And we've reduced our decision-making because what, what Mike found and what all of us have found, and Sean, you said you were in banking, most business owners don't get up every day and go, let me go check my balance sheet and my P&L and make a decision. What right. they do is most business owners get up and check their bank account and they go, I got X amount in the bank. What can I do? I can do this or I can do that. And so what he realized was it was hard to change that way of thinking and doing things. So instead, why don't we build a process around it that still allows you to go check the bank account? So now right. what you're doing is you're moving the money into those bank accounts that support the roles that you have for, for those funds. So you were not stopping that natural, go look at it. We're just now reducing what you're You still see it all. You see it all when you pull up your bank, you see it all on your balance sheet, but now it's in buckets, smaller buckets that are easier for you to think about and easier for you to manage instead of everything thrown in one bucket and doing exactly what you said, where you were printing everything off and trying oh, to so parse it out on yeah, paper. It's, it's that old school envelope method, right? Where Yep. Yeah, it actually is even before that. He went all the way back. I mean, I mean, probably prehistoric times when they didn't have money and they were parsing out food. But like, it was all the way back. I mean, hundreds of thousands of years they were doing this type, like of dividing to see, dividing so that they could save, you know, a resource for what it was used. Mm. We talked about even before we came on air, just about using our time and ha- parsing out our time mm-hmm. for the different um, things that we did in our business. And that's where I said, I teach profit first in our time. Mm-hmm. How do we parse out our calendar? Because time is a currency, just like money. You yes. know, they say, if you want to know what's important, somebody look at their calendar and look at their checkbook. These days we'd have to say their credit card, but you know, what is important to us? And if I don't parse out what's most important to feed my business, to care for my business, to do my podcast, to, to work with my clients. If I don't parse it out and put it on my calendar and protect it, it will be absorbed by something else that seems to be important in the moment, but is not long-term as important. For sure. So I mean, profit first in your time is just setting in those, those um, holding places in your calendar for, for the things that you know you need to get done. I think profit first is to like connect it to our our audience of hotties who are listening is like, if you're thinking that, oh, my website really needs an upgrade and you're not able to look at your bank account and know if the money is there to hire the team to do that for you or to bring in a branding expert or or whatever that next step might be, help you bring a shop online. Hiring like an e-commerce. admin, hiring a yeah. VA. I get that a lot. How do I know when I can hire an admin? How do I know if I can hire a VA? How do I know if I can sustain their hire once I bring them in? Mm-hmm. To your point, I need help with social media. How do I know that I can pay a team to help me with that? Or, you know, whatever. But what Profit First does is it helps you look at where you are and then plan forward. I think it really circles back to the beginning and it's valuing ourselves. So we are in this business to make money. Most of us should be, I would imagine. (laughs) If we're not prioritizing profit, then we're not valuing ourselves and our own success and our business's success. So So I I want to say something about that real quick. I have actually had multiple conversations with people that came from the idea of capitalism is horrible. Mm -hmm. And in their mind, everything should be a break even. 
And well, I got paid, why should I profit? And I, I want to just break some myths around that. One, profit itself is not bad. Money is amoral. It has no morals. What we choose to do with our money is where our morals show up. But money itself is amoral. Okay. The second mm-hmm. thing I would say is the reason we build profit into a company, it is for the sustainability. It is for that, that opportunity to make that client happy when there's no money to cover it without it having to go into your personal bank account and bring money back into the company. So it allows you to serve your clients well. It allows you as your firm grows to grow. And it also allows you to take care of your employees to be able to provide benefits and do those extra things that you could not do if you ran it down to zero every single year. And another big thing it does is it creates a stress relief. And so if we think about that, Mike McAllis would say, sales is responsibility, profit is sustainability. Like there is a lot of responsibility for those sales that we make. So if we don't have some profit to allow us to sustain, that means that your design firms are going to be there next year when they do the next project. That means that your design firms are going to be there 10 years from now when their son or their daughter moves on to do something. And if we don't build that into the firm, it won't be there. I will tell you, my clients who had been implementing Profit First with me for years, During COVID, before PPP funds came in, my clients, they were tightening and they knew how to tighten and what to do, but they already had three months of their expenses saved. They they became their own bank and they started keeping their people employed and moving through it with a completely different piece than those who had none of that and who thought that there didn't need to be profit and were just taking what came. And so my goal is to teach us to be our own bank and not to rely on an external banking system if we can help it. Right. And And if it's not COVID creating this, it's something down the road. Yeah. Personally, I've seen some of my firms that I helped them build this up so that they Mm -hmm. could go on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. so that they could yeah. take a summer off so that they could be with an aging or a dying parent. You know, they needed to take a step away. That, that contraction happens even personally mm-hmm. within our firm. And you want and to be able to have the freedom and the flexibility. Yeah. yeah. We just can't be down to we're living on every crumb that comes in. It's kind of like, there's a buffet out there and I'm not talking about hoarding. I'm not talking about, pricing without integrity, none of those things. I'm talking about pricing correctly. Like I'll I'll give you my quick cheat sheet on making money. You ready? (laughs) Okay. Sell the right product and service to the right person at the right price and manage the heck out of it. That's it. And that's it. That's it. Right product and service to the right person. So what is that? That is the perfect package that you offer, perfect service that you are set up to do, right person, that's ideal client, right price, that means pricing with integrity. It's a number that is fair and reasonable for them and fair and reasonable for you. After that, that gets you to gross profit. After that, it's a management game. Do I need it? Do I need it now? Do I spend it? Do I spend it here? What else doesn't get done because this gets done? I mean, that's really in the the simplest form. That's all that it is. I feel like that's a mic drop right there. <laughs> the management piece, just like, no, the, just like that strategy. That on a t-shirt. Right yeah. product, right person, right price. Manage, the, manage heck the heck out of, heck it. Out of it. It's just like this is that's what we're trying to get. Plan. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's amazing. I mean, I think that's 
a huge shift for a lot of creative business owners. And that's who you see every day. So I know that you feel that from a lot of people where we're not just here being um, starving artists. We're not just here to create beautiful things. We can create beautiful things in our own homes and not have to monetize it as a business. So that's where you earlier said, like, is is this going to be a hobby or is this a business? And for some designers, that's going to be a challenging conversation because they might realize, you know what? I don't want to do this on my own. I'd rather work as an individual contributor for another company and then have my passion separate. And that brings me personal joy and fulfillment. And I will fill my bucket that way emotionally, but I will work for someone else financially and cover that for myself. We know that a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, but I think... I don't know that everyone has to be sold this idea. Like you must be an entrepreneur to be successful. It's like not necessarily. Not Mm -mm. everyone's cut out for it. You know, and even that when I'm coaching, I don't do cookie cutter because when people come to me, some will say, I really only want to work 30 hours a week while I'm raising my children. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, great. Tell me what you have available. Now let's maximize that and make the most we can for what the inputs are. Somebody else is telling me my kids are all leaving. This is where I was a few years ago. My kids are all going to college and I have all this time. I want to throw myself into this, you know, all the way. Okay, fine. Tell me what what you have to invest money, time, effort, energy. Now let's maximize that. And then I'll have them on the other side. I've got grandchildren or aging parents and I want to work less again. Fine, let's do that. The goal of it is if we're going to own our own firm, if you're going to own a company, companies are created to create profits. Mm -hmm. And so whatever it is that we are putting in, it is to do it with integrity to make a profit so that the company can be sustainable. And so it doesn't look the same for each of us. I've got some that are you know, working with design developers and and builders and they're building homes. I've got some that are doing e-design only. I've got some that are doing staging, you know, some that are just doing some of the other pieces and parts. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we recognize that we are business owners who provide a service of fill in the blank for profit so that we can then put money back into the economy doing other things. I, I hire so many people with the profits that I have so that I can give back and keep things going. I'm able to give money and contribute to things that matter to me or that matter to those that I love. I can't do that if I don't have it. We, we can only give out of abundance. We cannot give out of depletion. And so if we're building a business of depletion, we're starving everybody around us. Yeah, we're stingy. We, we we start becoming stingy. We start becoming sad. We start thinking that there's not enough versus it's like that scarcity mentality. Scarcity, yeah. As opposed to thinking there is enough. Let me focus on doing what I love to do and can do really well. Knock their socks off and then take the profits and give back or pay back or do whatever. Right. I'm here this for is that. Like, yeah, this is really hitting me. <laughs> Where I need to hear it. I just needed to hear this today. I'm thinking we need another discussion after you read the book. Oh, I yeah, love that. I think it's a retrospective thing of like, okay, now what has opened up after talking, after actually going through your profit is first and then starting to challenge our money management processes and what we need to do. And I think it's important that we know that every d- designer's journey to this is different. And I know that Profit First also talks about percentages and amounts that are appropriate and looking at reporting and numbers. And that's a whole 
different part of the ball game that that has to be digested separately. That right. I know our, our one uh, chat today is definitely not going to get to all of it. Yeah. You know yeah. what, though? Again, I wish I had had this kind of conversation prior to even jumping in to reading the book and going through it. And I was already doing pieces and parts of it by the time I got to the book. But I think it's because everything we do is about what we believe. In, in the book, Atomic Habits, he talks about our actions are predicated on our identity and our identity is predicated on our beliefs. So what you believe informs who you believe you are and that informs what you do. And so if we look at how we manage money, you know, the conversations go all the way back to how did my parents manage money? How did I see it managed in another design firm? Was there enough? Was there not enough? Was it talked about? Was it good? Was it bad? And so that's why I say we have to have a strategy for this before. But if you can create the strategy and get the mindset correct, then Sean, by the time you get to the percentages, it's just math. Right. But if you don't have all those things in place, the math feels overwhelming because you start thinking, I can't do that mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. I want to do that because it makes sense to me. Yeah, Very the emotional that. piece really gets in the way. Yeah, it really does. For everything. I think for it gets everything. in the way for everything. The majority of success happens in our head. Mm-hmm. Then it comes out in what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is something we talk about a lot and. I think it's not talked about enough. This has been really, really helpful. We want to ask you a few questions that we ask all of our guests. If okay. You're ready to do something a little bit different. Yeah, let's have at it. So we have these burning questions. We've adjusted them a little bit for the new year. Number one, what is one piece of advice you would give designers to help them attract their dream clients? Okay, so this goes back to what I said at the very beginning, and it would be this. Know who you are and know what you love to do and tell the story. Mm-hmm. Because if we know who we are and we like our values and our why and our mission and our vision, we have an idea of who we are and what we want to put out into the world. We know how we want to do it. If we tell that story, our ideal client, it'll resonate with them. It'll pull them. It'll draw them in. It'll be like mm-hmm. honey and they'll come to it. A lot of times we don't get our ideal client because we don't even know who we are. Yeah. And so I always talk about it's like going fishing with the wrong bait. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got to put out the bait that, you know, your fish will bite. And that means you got to know who you are and what you want and then go out instead of figuring totally. out who they are. Okay. What have you done for professional development recently that you would recommend to our listeners? I took my business on vacation. <gasps> Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. So I, I always take time at the end of the year, beginning of the year to do a strategic plan, but I'd been feeling this need to go on vacation with my business because it's something that I'm building. It's near and dear to my heart. And I see it as an extension of me, but also separate from me. And mm-hmm. so I told my husband, I said, I really feel this need to be alone with my business, but not in my workplace. Because when I'm at my desk, I feel like I need to be answering and doing all the things in front of me. I don't feel like that spontaneity yeah. and that freedom. So I got a home at the lake and I went out there for Saturday to Wednesday. I actually just fell in love with my business again and recommitted to the goals that I set. I woke up when I wanted to wake up. I journaled, I wrote, I planned it was beautiful. Next year when I do it, or if I do it again on the fall, I'm going to take an entire week. That's awesome. Third question. This is more in the design category. So what is one design element you've been drawn to lately? Wallpaper. Mm-hmm. And, and you know why? I, 
my, our first house was in the eighties and the early nineties. And there was, we bought a home from somebody else and they had wallpapered everywhere. And I swear if it was a flat space, they wallpapered it. And I spent many, many hours with that little round thing, Mm -hmm. trying to get all scoring it, getting all that nasty wallpaper off the wall and then trying to prep the walls and paint the walls. So I kind of swore off wallpaper for a long time because of the pain and torture of getting eighties wallpaper down. Like I can only handle (laughs) so many ducks and geese and baskets and blue and mauve. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's, it's a real PTSD moment around all that. But now when I'm looking at the new wallpapers and the colors and the vibrancy and the ease of application and taking it down, I'm now trying to get my courage back up to think, okay, where can I do that again? If you could live in a set of any TV show or movie, what would it be? If I could live in a set for the beauty of it, I would choose Bridgerton. I love the costuming. I love mm-hmm. the sets. I love the just the whole thing I think is gorgeous. If I could live in one just because it would make me laugh, it would be Schitt's Creek. Oh, yeah. Just for your friends. <laughs> yeah, just so that I could <laughs> laugh at what was going on because of the hilarity of it, I yes. would be Schitt's Creek. If I wanted to be be- beautiful and pretentious and all the little cute costuming, totally Bridgerton. Yeah, because yeah, you don't want to live in the motel, but... Yeah, no, you don't, don't want to live in the Rosebud Motel. <laughs> but I would like to. I would like to just like show up in the diner and just see what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that uh, that's a good one. Okay, last question: What is one non-living object you would save from your home in a fire? Pictures. I have mm. a lot of pictures prior to everything being digital, and they've not been digitized yet all the way back from grandparents, great-grandparents. So I think I would grab the big box of all the photos and try to run out fast. Michelle, this has been amazing today and we really, really appreciate it. Can you share with our listeners how they can find you? Sure. So my website is scarletthreadconsulting.com. I hang out on Instagram as scarletthreadatl and I'm on Facebook as scarletthreadconsulting. And on LinkedIn is Michelle Williams, so... You can find me on all of them. We'll put links to the show notes for everything that that you shared with us today, as well as your site. So everyone can find you faster. That sounds awesome. Thank you again for having me. I love the conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. Michelle. Thank you. Until next time. Stay hot designers. Thanks for joining this meeting of the hot young designers club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. And let's be honest, there are some beautiful clothes in there. And did you notice almost oh, yeah. everything's black and white? Almost yeah. all yes. The wardrobe in that show does a really great job of setting the cast apart from the world of Schitt's Creek, the town and Correct. the people. It's and character. it's always reminding you of that tension. I yeah. love that they did that with costuming and with wardrobe. It is. And the wigs. Who doesn't oh, want to uh, have all of wigs in your makeup? <laughs> all of them with their own name. <laughs> yeah.